Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Founders, welcome to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Reza Farahani. Reza is a serial entrepreneur and data science consultant who most recently co-founded and exited WF Homey, a people analytics tool helping companies embrace data to make decisions that enable them to improve the employee experience, create productive environments, whether they're remote, hybrid, or on-site. Reza's experience has positioned him well to speak on all aspects of the startup environment from ideation to exit and as a visionary in the future of work sector. And today we are pumped to have him on the show. So Reza, thank you for being here today. Uh, thanks for having me, Drew. Yeah, well, I'm curious. I know that just from a little bit of the background research we did on you that you've started at least three companies. And how in the world did you go from engineering and kind of just the data scientist of this to actually being a founder and entrepreneur yourself? Honestly, like the first startup was interesting. Uh, when I started, it was like I was 19. And wow, uh, I just did a kind of internship with another company came out. I mean, like there was not much of a decision making. It's like, hey, I need to think about my future or what's happening. Uh, we just saw something. It's like, hey, uh, how about like, you know, a customer relationship management system? We didn't know that wording, like we didn't know what is CRM. Just like, hey, yeah. somewhere to keep track of the customers. And like, you know, and it's like, how about this is not something you install and you go on web and that becomes CRM on cloud. Again, the wording, we didn't know that. So it's just kind of, <laughs> that was the situation. And uh, I called one of my friends like, hey, do you want to do it? It's like, let's do it. We went through an incubator, uh, kind of called up a few of our friends. Uh, at the time, we didn't have revenue, so we did web development and we paid the salary to our friends. It's like very little, like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like $500 or so per month. It's just yeah. like, they were super happy. It was like, everyone was super happy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was it. And we got at the end, Aqua hired. Again, that word I learned like maybe 10 years later. Uh, so what we another company, that was my first startup. Then it just, I did some work, become like a employee. I worked in a few companies, then I founded my second one. And the third one was work from home. It was like a VC backed fully like launching, become a company. And that that's the whole story. Yeah. Wow. Now, was there a kind of learning curve for you going from starting your first company, knowing no nothing to the second, to the third that got acquired? What was that kind of learning curve like just in, how you as a founder start and scale a company? I mean, uh, it's interesting uh, when you are the first time founder, it's all about like, can I build something? It's like, that's the itch. It's like, I want to build something. Uh, you, you don't know about like sales or marketing or anything else. It's just like all about building. I think like, it's important to nail that uh, expertise. So you, it's, it's important that you can deliver a solution, deliver a product. Yeah. Sure. Even if you talk to VCs, it's like, hey, this is a check mark. It's like X can, like, there is a track record can deliver something. But when you go, like, go further and further down, we're like, hey, it's like, 
channel is really important, marketing, sales. So I started learning different skill sets. And I always say like the first time founders are worried about product. The second time founders are worried about the distribution channel. So now it like uh, that's kind of the you start learning how any product can be sold, can be checked to the market, can get users. And that become a lot bigger concept because now I know if there is a vision, I can build it. So mm. let, let's see if I can figure that this part first building is going to happen. I love that. Now let's imagine that someone is listening right now that feels like, Hey, I've got the product. I know I can solve the customer problem, but like you, I'm learning about marketing or I'm learning about, you know, distribution channels. What would you encourage them, um, to think about or to do? I mean, when you think about like how a product goes out, the first thing that we should do is like, where do you stand? Yeah, it's like, is it a B2C? Is it a B2B? Like going through those categories. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know much about B2C. And it's just at this point, I kind of said like, hey, to me, that's a magic. So like, I, I don't know what's <laughs> happening there. It's like, it yeah. works. And so by being come to B2B, the next question is that who's your first, who's your ICP? What's your deal size? And when you like nail down these two, suddenly like your, it's like a playbook for your channel. Go talk to people that did the same thing, sold to the same people with the same deal size. Then find those people who are successful and they tell you how they did it. I mean, obviously or read about it or something like just based on these two elements that how, like, is it, are you selling your annual contract value? Yeah. So, so you're here selling software that costs thousand dollars per year. Is it free or it costs $10,000 per year or $100,000 per year or a million dollars per year? These are different ways of uh, different product. And it's who's your ICP. Is it your, like the person who's using it is the developers or the CEO or the middle manager. And when you have the answer for these two, you can find similar product that sell in the same price range and see how they are successful. Mm. Now, did you learn anything about the actual discovery process, the sales process of, Hey, you've got to make sure you're talking to the right decision maker. And then, you know, often I'll give you an example. When I was started my, when I, I was first starting my company, it was like trying to get married too quickly to the customer <laughs> yeah. where I was hoping for like a one call close, right? Like you just met me, let me unveil what we can do for you. And are you ready? And I realized, no, like, there's more to the conversation. There needs to be better discovery. I need to know how to move the ball along the field to get to the end destination. Did you have a similar experience with B2B type work? Yeah, definitely. The, the first thing is like, you can, what they call it, you can sell feature or you can sell the problem. Yeah, that's what I learned first. It's like, yeah. we, we use this tool, uh, Actually, it was uh, Fireflies and Gong for like both of the, the record your sales call. And what I noticed at first, it's like I'm talking 70%, 80% of the call. And so that's a red flag. It's just you, I shouldn't talk that much in the call. Mm. So that becomes kind of my mission. I, I Like that's one single mission. I want to talk less than 40% of the call and how I can achieve that. And I know this is like a not an end goal. But it was a proxy to make sure I'm listening to the problem. Yes. Oh, man, that was one of the most brutal moments in my business career was I, we hired a sales coach to help my co-founder and I 
have more effective conversations. And he made us record our calls with people. And the very same thing was my problem. He was like, you're talking way too much. And I was like, well, isn't that the point? You know, I was still new to it. I was like, they need to hear about what we can do. And he was like, no, you need to think like a doctor who wants to find what the real problem is and then give an expert opinion on how to solve it, whether it's your product or not. And he would just, I mean, he would stop the tape every like 10 seconds and be like, whoa, oh what are you doing here? And I, I was like, I don't know. I'm trying my best, right? But it was really cool to learn a different approach to sales. And we started seeing a big, a big benefit from that. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I think that's looked like hell. It's like they uh, play back your mistakes in front of you. That exactly, it's just like, oh, this is like, oh, don't, don't. I, I know, I can see it. <laughs> it's the worst because you, you're listening back to yourself, which is already weird. And then yeah. <laughs> he's pointing out this, the mistakes. He's like, you spent 10 minutes doing random chit chat. He's like, you, why did you waste those 10 minutes? He doesn't care how the weather is or what. You know, I was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I can see it. I, I, even if some, and then you start learning to pick it up. And then the next step is like, you start learning to pick it up while you're talking. I said, like, okay, I went to the, now I need to come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Then after that become the second uh, nature to you that do it uh, naturally. But yeah. for a while, it's like you can even like, spot it live. It's like, oh, I should, I should get out of this as soon as possible. Yes. So from your point of view, if, if the person listening can clearly understand who their product is really going to be used by, the likely deal size that they're going to be packaging their offer and then find some people that have done that, they might be able to give some real kind of niche advice on the best way to get in touch with them, uh, the best way to kind of have those conversations. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also like uh, for a while we were doing founder-led sales. So I was the founder doing the sales and that helped me a lot to like define the vision for the product. Yeah, just listening what people want we had this thing. I mean, if I think it has a joke so far, it's like the sales promise something and you need to deliver tomorrow. Uh, so like kind of that was our situation, but I was the sales and I was the delivering the product. Yes. So, uh, so you listen, it's like, okay. And at the live, I like, you know, I would calculate how much, how long does it take to deliver this feature? It's like, yes, we have it. If they buy, it takes two weeks to onboard them. I can deliver this one in two weeks. So we will have it. So uh, <laughs> that's how we actually we build the product, you know? Yeah. And the other thing is, so first of all, listen. And the other thing we did that was useful and too risky is like every time we had like, for example, eight feature, I would pitch a ninth feature that we didn't have, but said like if they, how respond to it. Yeah. And if they respond to it, I would like back off or something it's like, oh yeah, it come later. But then I would collect information about what is like A/B testing about that feature with the customer. So it's kind of we met, like merge the customer discovery and kind of the research and the sales into one communication. Because you are in a startup, you need to yeah. build the parachute while jumping out of the airplane. Yeah. Yes, I I love that. I remember hearing. Uh, do you are you familiar with Lewis Howes? He has a podcast called uh, The School of Greatness. I heard the uh, the podcast, yeah. So he had an example from way back when he was first getting started 
that he kept making the mistake of building something that he thought people wanted and then spending all the time selling it only to find out people didn't quite want it or didn't want it exactly like that. And so he kind of flipped it and said, I'm going to sell before I build. And so he would sell something, let's say like, Hey, I'm going to put together this course on how to leverage LinkedIn for sales. And he wouldn't actually build the course until a hundred people signed up and he would say, okay, it's going to go live next month. And he would have a month to go out and build the course. But he said he saved all of that energy and even those resources to find out first, to make sure that people actually wanted it and even bought it before buying it. Now, obviously with businesses like yours, you could get in trouble if you have no product built by the time you're, you're selling it. But the idea of that ninth feature is actually a really great idea that you want to make sure people are even you know, excited about it before you and your team go and build something like that, right? Yeah, specifically that you're a startup, like you want to be super efficient with your resources. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to build a feature that 3%, 5%, 10% of my user use. Yeah. Build a feature that, because if I'm building this, I'm not building something else. That's like uh, the bottom line of it. Yeah. How all, a lot of people go to like oh, Apple, Steve Jobs has the vision to, it's like, yeah, but they also had money to take, uh, to build the stuff and put it in, like, you are not a big organization. If yeah. you don't build this, if you are building something, you're not building something else. The opportunity cost is too high for you to build without talking to customer. That the cost of it is too much. Mm. I love it. So on the, on the scale side, Let's, let's use uh, work from homey that is the last one, the most recent one. What did it look like to, hey, okay, we've kind of nailed a product. We're starting to get some customers, but now we've actually scaled it to a place where we can get acquired or we can sell. What did that scaling process look like? So it, it, it's, an, I mean, what I'm saying is not a, like, a, like a lot of like people who went through it. So no, uh, so it's a very textbook situation. Like when you build your pro like your core product, you you as a founder do your founder let's say. Then you start to figuring out. Now, like I'm doing A/B testing, but now I need to create processes. The only way to scale is like now I need to like now this sales method works. I need to create processes, give it to someone else. I know it's gonna be not the way I do it, not the result that I get. But as soon as possible, I need to shift it and I start moving to the next thing. Yeah. So uh, for the scaling, like the moment we find something works, we create a sales team. We gave it uh, like the process to them. It's like, hey, this is the, what you do on the first call, say, second call. These are the ICP. These are how you re reach to them. This is how, who are the people you want on a call? Like, obviously, you know, the stakeholder management, everything. I mean, if the deal went above a certain size, we would get involved, obviously, as a founder. But uh, so that was like freed up to do something else. The next step for us was like, hey, this is good, but we need to like do it more. So we started doing something around a PLG. Like yes, we build a product after that. It's like now we need, to, we have this channel when like this channel got up, like not automated, but we know the processes. We can hire people to do it. Let's go build another channel. And that's how we start scaling. And the next channel for us after like direct sales, uh, was apps uh, creating a PLG that was like honestly like one of the most successful products that we built. Interesting. Tell, talk to me about that. What was the key difference there? Honestly, uh, uh, 
idea of the product come with uh, talking with one of the customers. Uh, uh, the customer was one of the biggest fintech in Canada. I think the biggest fintech in Canada. The C level has like I, I just saw it. The, the person talked now. He's just like, oh, I wish I had something like this. I was like, oh, all right, all right, let's see. And we went in three weeks, build the product. It wasn't like, uh, there, there was a lot of like stuff that didn't work in that product. And there was sure. stuff like, the, it was kind of a, a house of cards situation, but it worked. The base of it, it worked. And it was, uh, uh, so we kind of took that one. It's like, hey, how about this one? I would just had it you know it's a, it was there uh, always and we brought it they start using it and the thing that like i don't know have you heard of this one it, like what's the difference between hype and something like the marketing push to the market is like for example the you you know is vr is a hype or not and so like it doesn't matter if like ten thousand people are use it or a million people it matters that the ten thousand who use it they use it every day and that mm. was happened in that product we said like we have one customer but they broke our server, how much they used it. I mean, that our we didn't build it in a way that uh, responded. So it's like, okay, there is something here. People are using it a lot. Yeah. And we doubled down on it. I mean, the code that we wrote in three weeks, we fully like throw out and rewrite the code from scratch so we would be scalable. But uh, I mean, like we know that code is not scalable. We wanted to test, yeah? So uh, that was kind of, and the idea was very simple. It was all about the channel. So always, I can't get to the detail, but the whole thing was like a, a peer-to-peer appreciation. So uh, me and you work in the same company. It's like, Drew, amazing job in the last podcast. But instead of like everyone thinking about it, like a web platform, we did it fully on a Slack. So mm-hmm. you didn't need to go out of a Slack to do it. And a Slack is like, at Drew, this is a great uh, job you did. And we could like, create a lot of interaction between the user. The social element of that was very like, make it something that people pride themselves on using. And it's like, hey, this is something that we can uh, get more of it. And we made it, we launched it on ProductCon. A lot of people installed it there. And mm, the rest rest is a story, you know? Super cool. Uh, Last question on kind of thinking back on your previous companies, but is there a favorite mistake or a most costly mistake that comes to mind that you had to go through as a founder? I mean, I have funny stories, but uh, the favorite, I'll go with the funny, then I'll go with the something that's like really, uh, we, when we launched, we were in Canada and we were like doing a lot of USD and CAD, uh, Canadian dollar, uh, interactions. And we try to like, oh, we support both or we support both language or something like, oh, we support everything. Yeah. Yeah. And once we send around thousand, uh, gift cards, at, like in our system allowed on USD and we charge the customer Canadian dollar. So that cost us a good 20% margin. <laughs> <laughs> what I we've learned is like, Hey, let's not create redundancy in the system very soon. People can deal with one currency, one language for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is then, brutal. Such a simple mistake that costs you so much money. Yeah. I, I mean, like we were it's like frustrated, but there is not much you can do. So we moved on from it pretty quickly and just make sure we are learning, taking something from it. The second thing is like, as much as possible, 
at the earliest stage of your startup, try to get, try not to hire more people, try to hire less, but effective people. Mm. So right now, it's like, do you want like five mid-level developer or one senior? I'll take one senior. <laughs> But that could change when you are going to the scale. Then it's you're gonna start like higher, like you, you have more job. You can like you need to start breaking the task and everything. You can start like you know losing on this rule. But when you are starting the company, try to get less but more senior people. Yeah, yeah. I mean that makes sense. That early on we get excited and just start hiring a bunch of people to get in the job and get in the work, but man, that's a lot of overhead that we're taking on versus like you said, maybe one person that for a season could do the quality or the quantity of work of three people. That's going to be a lot more efficient use of your, of your capital. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole thing is I'm very uh, fond of this idea. It's like the seniority is nothing more than dealing with ambiguity. So when you start this startup, there are a lot of ambiguity mm. and like performing under uncertain conditions, a senior person have seen this a few times. Yeah. So even if you don't tell that person that exactly what you want, he had a good intuition, what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a better intuition than you, what you want. So that can fill the gaps for a while. Uh, but if you don't have that person, you need to start filling all the gaps yourself and you're stretching yourself too soon. Hmm. Yeah, I really like that. All right, let's move forward because I'm excited to hear based on your expertise, your background and the work you're involved in. You mentioned earlier, not being sure or, you know, whether something's hype or not. Let's talk about AI and the future of work for a minute. Uh, there's been some big updates, obviously, with chat GPT and things like that. Um, where is your head at right now? Where do you think we're actually at in kind of the adoption curve or even the excitement that people are having around AI and work? Yeah, I, so that we talked like about the hype or what is not hype. One thing that when AI came in, uh, become like, you know, the next release of, of uh, chat GPT and be like the, the large language models. I start talking to people like across, like, I, I like randomly, like I bring it up. It's like, do you use it? How often do you use it? And more than the other, like I hear it's like, I'm using it every day. I'm using ChatGPT or some sort of like AI model almost mm. every day. It's like either you're a small business owner or you are a, a PM or you are a software developer. Uh, I mean, even uh, we used it at work, uh, what is that copilot, which was the first version of, uh, that chat GPT, like the GPT, like LLM models to help you write code. Mm -hmm. We use it in work from home, like some sort, some part of work from home code was written by AI. Wow. Uh, so we see like people are using it every day. It's like, so this is not high. There is something in it. Yeah. And then I start thinking about it. Like when after like exiting work from home, like this is the future. Like we, if something happens, should happen between the, uh, conjunction of AI and future of work. And that's kind of like what I'm going next, what I'm thinking next, what can be done in this area. Okay. Can you tell us 
are you allowed to talk about what's what's coming next for you? I'll, I'll go high level, and uh, but the whole thing around is just we expect AI increase the productivity as much as possible, yeah. But the productivity comes so far is just like, hey, I'm a PM, I can do a little more, yeah. But is it possible that? we do like what is needed to be done that we do a lot more hmm. so what does it mean is like hey i like instead of doing a search what i should do as a pm is like hey look at my data look at the company that i'm in get some context around my work and tell me what to do now so Kind of right now, AI is a consultant that helps you. It's like, hey, think about that, think about that, but doesn't do the job. It doesn't do the job because doing the job needs context. Mm. And doing having the context comes in two things. I'll, I'll, I'll make an example like very uh, similar, like very like easy job. Yeah, I'm working at a factory and I'm dealing with this valve. Like I just need to open it up and close it. Yeah, and usually there is like two things happening there. I need to have an eye on the temperature. It's like, or whatever is happening there. I also, I've been like, the knowledge transfer happened to be what to do in different scenarios, right. yeah? So there is a data, numerical data, and there is a playbook, what should I do? So this is a specific for the company. So the only company knows about that. So you cannot ask ChatGPT about it. So right now, ChatGPT and like all the LLMs are really good at the searching text document. So if I say, I opening the valve, this should be clear, but it's foggy. I can ask fogginess about the, to, through the text and search if foggy, that's happening, yeah? But there is another thing that the LLMs can have trouble with, that's the numerical data. If it's foggy and the temperature is 22 degrees and historically it was 21, then what happens? So do you have two contexts, one in real time, one is the text. Bringing these two together and take an action on it, it's something. Then if you do that one, if you solve this one, that job is fully automated. That job is like in a high degree getting automated. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I'm still figuring it out. There is a lot of hallucination happening, obviously. There is a lot of uh, ups and downs. But yeah, and you can go through this one every other job. If you're a PM, if you're a developer, if you're a like a factory worker. So it doesn't matter where is it. The problem is, this, is, very, like, is the same problem. Now, if you solve it, you can solve it for a specific sector, obviously. Right. But yeah. So what we're talking about, it sounds like, is right now the, the general use of... AI and learning models and chat GPT and things like that is generic. And so as long as your situation kind of is common enough, then you might get exactly. a helpful response, but that you are part of hopefully building something that would take someone's very specific context in mind and still be able to leverage the comp, the computing power and, you know, uh, of AI. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if right, right now, AI, that's a really good description. It's like a reporter that works in a field. It's like, hey, uh, what's happening in the oil and gas industry? It's like, you know, it can tell you everything. Yeah. But when you go to the detail of it, it's like, what exactly is happening? They cannot uh, give you an answer. It's proprietary data. No one knows. It's like <laughs> three people work there. So uh, it's impossible to get to that level of expertise in one field. Right. It's more of a, like a generalist 
even more than that's like a reporter but like a like a yeah but before going in how we can make this one useful for a specific industries using the proprietary data that industry like they have inside the like you know firewalls mm. now in your opinion i know there's a lot of hot kind of takes and debates on this and whatever but some people see what's coming in the next three to five years as replacing most jobs. Others see it as enhancing current jobs. Um, where do you kind of, as you think about the future of work and how you're seeing it being utilized, how do you think about that conversation? It's uh, interesting because like, it's if you say it doesn't replace jobs, you are being too, you know, I don't know. I said like, uh, you're too being too nice yeah. to everyone. It does replace jobs. It definitely does. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, simple enough. Like you can talk. Again, we had developers using Copilot, so we had less developers. We had our uh, blogs was uh, work of like you know the amount of bl like blog post content we pushed in work from home. It was a lot more because we had AI yeah. helping us to do so. Yeah. We didn't like copy paste it, but instead of three copywriters, we had one copywriter. So, so in a sense, it does replace it, but also at the same time, it creates new opportunities. Like you, you know, uh, and like the, it, right now we have like title like in like last three months, it's like prompt engineer. It's like that didn't exist <laughs> three months ago. Yeah, yeah. It's like, who's a prompt engineer? So yeah, it does replace <laughs> jobs a lot. And it's, it would be a lot of jobs that get replaced, but it creates new, it improves the productivity, which is good for everyone. So, and enables a lot of people do more, their jobs much better. So yeah, uh, they are not handicapped by uh, like, pro like, you know, if they had terrible education, you can say like, you know, I, I'm not handicapped by that because I still can chat GPT. What can I do? Yeah. It's like, you can start educating yourself, ask this question much better. So it, I think it's also a, a play, like it equals the play, like playing field a little bit for a lot of people. Yeah. So that, that's what happened with the internet. It's like the access to data get better, democratizing, like, uh, access to data it's like before that if you want to be like a very eloquent writer you probably needed to come from ivy like uh school or like very good like someone who really taught you how to write really well yeah. that is like solved for you so you can start focusing on what is the product yeah so so i think it's a play it echoes the playing field so people should be happy about it more than worried yeah no i think you're right i mean i heard somebody say that most likely you, you know, talking to the person who might be replaced by AI, they said, you won't be replaced by AI. You will be replaced by the person who knows how to use AI. And I thought that's pretty good. And then the other is that we're discounting the amount of opportunity that this, like you said, could open up that yes, like every great tech innovation, certain things become obsolete. And that is very painful in the meantime, but it also usually creates new opportunities for new types of jobs to exist, that new skill sets emerge, new ideas come forth uh, that I think we could be excited about. I mean, I was playing with a another business idea just a month ago, and I was like, let me just see you know, if ChatGPT can assist me. And so I just told it, hey, I'm thinking about starting this 
type of business for these type of people for this type of product help me mind map how i would start this business and that prompt alone spit out like nine different things i need to be thinking about that was like very intuitive as a person who started a business i was like those are great nine things i need to be thinking about and it is it made the process like you said what if i had not had any business knowledge but i knew to ask that question you are infinitely more intelligent about approaching this idea you're playing around with when it forces you to think through these different lenses. And then I was like, okay. And I, I wrote up like a, a sales pitch that would go out in an email. And I said, Hey, help me. I, I want to, you know, help me refine this. I want to use this tone of voice. And I just kept working with it instantaneously spitting back better and better sales pitches that were, you know, my information and my writing, but just took it and, and, and enhanced it. And I was like, like you said, this is a huge leveling of the playing field by if you if you can learn this right like one skill learning to utilize ai in a way opens up 20 skills does that make sense so you still have to learn the skill of how do i utilize ai but it opens up all these other skills to, that you previously might have had to go to school for or spend years and money on right yeah yeah for for like sure that's it like i'm experiencing that right now it's like hey I'm doing a proposal, like I was doing it recently. Uh, and this is like, like a big enterprise proposal, like 20 of the pages. And I have this long conversation with ChatGPT for a month yes. and I just keep it open. And I was thinking like, I'm doing the work of like probably a sales team that has at least three people yes. right now, at, at, at least like there is someone doing research. There is someone who's like, uh, you know, leading the team. There is someone who bringing the material. There is an editor who's like making sure nothing is missing here. It's like, now I can do it. I don't need three people. Now a big organization and me a little can compete a little better for this uh, proposal. Yeah? yeah. I mean, even stuff like I got to a place where uh, I said, Hey, can you just give me a contract agreement? Like, I know it's not gonna be legally binding or whatever, but just something that I could send out for people, whatever. And just it giving me that format like this and me plugging and playing was so fun. And I'll tell you one other fun, fun example that isn't necessarily work related, but I was just having fun one day trying to explore AI. And I was thinking, where else could I use this? And every night, so I have three kids, I have a 10 a nine and a six year old. And my kids love for me to read them books, but they also, I, I kind of had the blessing and the curse of being creative a few years ago. And I started creating my own stories for them. And so I would, create these stories just off the cuff about each of them would be in the story and they'd have to go to some magical forest and whatever. And I, it started becoming a lot where they're like, Hey, come up with another one. I'm like, I'm tired. I don't know what else to come up with. So Reza, I went on chat GBT and I said, give me six stories that are based around these three characters. And I put my kids' names in their ages, their, you know, girl, boy, whatever. And I gave themes. And I'd said, I, I would like it to have this story to have a theme of courage and resilience and this story, whatever. It spit out six stories that were so good that I literally read them six nights in a row. And my kids were like, your stories are getting awesome. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> they're like, dad, did you write this? And I was like, not really. <laughs> but then I was able to come in and go, hey, this one's not, this one's too scary. Can you change it? And it would immediately update it. And I'd go, Hey, I want this to have a longer uh, scene around this. And it was just so, as a dad, this has nothing to do with the business. Just like as a dad, oh it was God. arming me with these stories about courage or stories. Like I had one about generosity. 
I was like, I really want my kids to yeah. know generosity, but I want it to be in a fanciful, entertaining way. And so I said, Hey, can you create me a fantasy story around generosity? And it spit out this beautiful story. And I was like, dude, just this, like that made my life so much more fun getting to, to, to do that for my kids. That's such an interesting, uh, I'll do, I'll try it. Like, uh, I have a name. I, I will tr to try do to it. put it to work and see. And you have to assist it, right? Like it, it'll sit, yeah. but like just being able to look at it and go, Hey, can you, can you make it more? Like I said one time, I was like, can you make the fighting more fun or more magical? Or and that one time I said, can you give them superpowers? And it gave them each wow. superpowers. And I was like, all right, I want you to give, uh, and so I just kept working with it. Like you are on that, uh, that open document. I just kept working with yeah. it and it kept getting better and better. And in like 20 minutes, I had fun stories to go impress my kids with, you know? You should try to do, use the, like make it a book, use Meet Journey to do the I illustrations. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that. I don't know. It scared me a little bit because I saw people like commenting like, this is, you know, you can't do this. This is fraud or copyright. I don't know how that works. But yeah, I've seen people create entire children's stories, go on Mid Journey, have the have the illustration printed out and then they're selling it on amazon you know uh, i mean i'm not selling it on amazon i don't know how that work but definitely for your for kids, my kids like yes personal, yeah that would be that fun would be, that would be fun to create your own book fun. just for you that's illustrated and all that kind of stuff that would be fun yeah for sure that's uh, uh, yeah i mean the other thing that i heard recently and it like that was one of the things that like, people are using it every day that's it the other one like i have a friend who's creator and he makes this, these pins, you know, like the, and the stickers. And he said, like, he has like 20 of them. And it's like, the hardest thing for me is come up with ideas. Mm. And it's like, he's good at illustrating and everything, selling it, putting it. And I was like, I don't, like, I, I, I don't have more ideas. And so I put the 20 ideas that I really like, the successful ones, like produce more, uh, like this. Like this. Yeah. And it, yeah, and there was one of them was like, hey, it would be a, it's not a big uh, deal, but the person who's saying it, it's a deal. And it's like, to that, it can understand that type of workplace. Wow. Like, wow, th that, that's interesting. Yeah, man. And you're using it every day. It's like, oh, every day. It's like, all right, man. It's like, yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> well, that was, yeah, that was the part that got me most excited was the, like, where can it assist the creative process? Right? Like, we always think about and, and it makes sense. Like, okay, where could it replace the number crunching and where could it replace the data collection? But like for the creative person, like you said, sometimes the hardest part is the next idea for the blog. But if you can, if you can tell it, Hey, here's who I'm, here's the topics I like to talk about. Here's the product, you know, the, the problems I like to solve. Can you give me 10 ideas for blog posts? That's, that's, that's so helpful for a creative person. I mean, like you say creative, and I think like even like some of the engineers is creative work. It's problem solving, yes. yeah? And like I ha always like like have this moment that are like, I'm doing everything. This is great. And it goes down. And like maybe a few days I have like, I'm, I'm done. There's nothing in my brain. And now I see I can do stuff more consistently because where I hit a roadblock, I start kind of like having the personal assistant that's like a second brain for you. It's like, hey. Uh, I need to move on. Let's use this one. And as so you suddenly like it spits out ideas, like, oh, okay, okay, I know what to do now. Yeah. Just like kick starts your uh, dead brain wave. It's like, okay, the new thoughts comes in. It's like, okay, now go from here. Yes. Like it, it, it's something, it, it changes. It definitely changes. And uh, people who are, who become master of using this skill set, 
are gonna like have a great time in the future. <laughs> I love that. Awesome, man. Uh, well, last thing is just what's got you most excited about what you're working on now and, and, and kind of what's coming up in your world. Yeah. So the use cases that we are doing, like for this type of work, there, sorry, there is the thing that's like, if you are doing a startup, that's one advice, like if it's not aligned with your, like what your core beliefs are, you, that's not going to work. Yeah. So, and I think uh, the whole AI is a, like what I'm talking about, the level the playing field. That's one of the things that I'm very excited about. And I'm excited about what I'm doing, about like doing this AI work, because I think now a lot of entrepreneurs also can like bring their idea from zero to one much easier. Yeah. So that that's make me ex like a lot more excited. So even before that's like, hey, if you're like most of the entrepreneurs, they come from a generational entrepreneur. The reason behind this, like, it's not a gene passing on because they learn the trade, they learn to the risk. So I think the whole AI and what we are doing, it's gonna make the world a little better, both financially, because if there are more entrepreneurs that are successfully bringing idea, it, it can make the economic moves and it's also better for everyone, you know? Super cool. Well, Reza, thank you so much for being here. This conversation was super fun for me and I, I've learned a ton and I, I'm just pumped there's people out there uh, like you building the businesses that you are and improving our lives. So thank you again for being here. Uh, thank you, Drew. It was great uh, chatting with you. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results. Thank you.